and welcome to a new episode of my weekly podcast. I'm Father Roderick, and I've got a show for you today with a whole bunch of different topics. We'll go from Star Trek to Star Wars to Lent to filming a talk show on a shoestring budget. That and more in this episode. <laughs> Sit back and relax. Uh, this episode, as all my shows, is brought to you by my patrons. They support me on a monthly basis with a small donation. If you want to join them and get access to my uh, exclusive podcast feed that I record every week as a thank you for my uh, supporters, then go over to uh, patreon.com slash fatherroderick. And in that special podcast for my patrons, I give you a little glimpse of behind the scenes sometimes. I have a little bit more time. It's more loose. I can share some of the secrets of how I make my my programs. Um, and I can also interact with the patrons. So if you want to help, you want to get access, then just check it out. And with that, it's time for the news. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. It's already the month of March. It's unbelievable how quickly this this year of 2019 passes me by, and I think it is because I've been working so much. These must have been the busiest two months ever, and this upcoming month is not going to be that that less busy. Although I have to say, there's one element of my work that is uh, going to take a bit less energy than it has been taken from me uh, over the past two months, and that is my television show. Um, this week, I'm producing the last episode that or at least for this first part of the year that I'm involved with. I'm doing a, uh, a look back on the six, the last six years of the pontificate of uh, Pope Francis, and I'll focus, I'll zoom in on some of the initiatives that he has inspired in our own country, most of which are, you know, initiatives for the poor, for the marginalized. And then uh, there are a number of episodes that will be produced by other program makers. So the only thing I'll have to do is to announce it and to do the um, live after show on Facebook. But that is a whole lot less work than than, it, than I used to have. On the other hand, there is a, a special production that I'm working on currently uh, in conjunction with uh, a number of people and also uh, an organization uh, that is all, just six videos um that are portraying people that do volunteer work also for the marginalized. Um, that is, that is uh, fortunately, I'm not the one who is filming it and editing it, but I'm involved in the whole, you know, kind of accompanying that project, making sure that it, in terms of, uh, of, of the, the, its contents, it is uh, what, well, what we need to do. Um, and I hope to be able to focus a little bit more on on uh, some new programs. One of the one of the projects that I've kind of uh, uh, pushed to to this month or to the next two months is uh, figuring out how to uh, translate a number of my more international programs uh, for for an international audience. So uh, I've I've now at least four four. Um, uh, document small smaller documentaries like half an hour documentaries that I would like to translate into English, do new voiceovers, do a, a slight re-edit, 
Um, but I just couldn't find the time or the energy to do that for the past two weeks, uh, ten, past two months. <laughs> it, it went by as if it were was two weeks. Um, so hopefully that will be something I can work on a little bit more. And then I've got some extra, some new program ideas. Um, some for for my uh, for the Dutch channel that we've recently started, um, and some other projects that may go beyond that. But um, we'll we'll do it step by step. And the last thing I need is uh, to to get even busier than I already am. Um, it is it is a uh, a busy week. Also, of course, this is the the week of Lent, the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday. And here in the Netherlands, at least in some parts of the Netherlands, uh, these are the days of Carnival, which is really big, especially in the more Catholic areas of the country, uh, where they will have the Carnival. Um, the the not the processions but the what is it the um uh with the cars and everything kind of look kind of looks a bit like uh, Thanksgiving parades uh, the, well parades that's the word that I was looking for so carnival parades everybody gets dressed up um and then on on Wednesday of course uh, Lent uh for this weekend of carnival I I I initiated a new a new series for the Dutch Catholic Channel that we uh, we started. And it's something I always wanted to do, which is a cooking show. But not just a show about cooking, but it's a show in during which we interview people while they are cooking. And it has two advantages. First of all, uh, it's about cooking. It's about food. And that is something that so many people can relate to. Um, so for, for this uh, first episode, I interviewed the uh, president of the Archdiocesan Seminary in, in Utrecht. The same seminary where I spent uh, five five years, and uh, and we we made um, pancakes or crepes actually, and, uh, of course because of Shrove Tuesday, which is a tradition mostly in Anglo-Saxon countries, although you see it also in the Netherlands more and more, probably because of the internet. Uh, so we uh, we made crepes, and then the second advantage of of the format is that well, because people are doing something, they're 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 actually they're using their hands. It's easier to talk, so you get a much more informal kind of conversation that works really really well. So the only thing I had to do is film everything, and I filmed it with what, what I call like dynamic camera technique. So I, the the camera is constantly moving; it's zooming in. I I move all the time. So um, I filmed everything as a one take, and then the only thing I had to do is to kind of condense it, take out the, the parts where either the conversation is not interesting or there's too much happening in the kitchen, um, and you have to kind of um, leave some stuff out. But on the whole, I was very happy with the result, and so was my audience, uh, or our audience, because I didn't present the show, I just filmed it. Um, we Already in two days, we get like 2,500 views on Facebook, which is... It's Facebook views, but still, it's a considerable uh, uh, amount of people that checked it out, and also a, a whole lot of shares, way more than than people share the talk show or the news video that we produce. So it's 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 a great learning experience on what works, which formats works, and sometimes I, I I can now realize things that I th- I thought up years ago. I've I've had this this cooking idea for many many years. And now I finally, we finally am in the situation where I have enough people to 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 make this with that that I can realize that. And I've got a number of other ideas that have been lingering in my head for quite a while that I hope to get to as soon as the the working pressure 
uh, of the TV show is uh, is less. Um, also great news is that my cathedral is safe. Well, not my cathedral. The cathedral in of my archdiocese, um, the church in which I was ordained. It is uh, a medieval church. It is um, uh, a cathedral. It didn't wasn't a cathedral from from the start. Uh, of course, the big cathedral was the the was a church in the center of the city. Only the tower is, remains, and and a little bit of the choir of that church because uh, because of a storm, and like most of the church was devastated by the storm. Um, and then the 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 church during the Protestant Reformation, the church was taken by the Protestants, and they Protestants, and they never gave it back. So they uh, they took another church and made that the cathedral. But still, it has been the cathedral for I don't know centuries, probably. And uh, and well, every priest in, of my diocese has been ordained there. However, you know that the situation in the Netherlands is pretty dire uh, for the Catholic Church. Uh, the, the let's say the, the the amount of people that go to church is dwindling. The age is very very high. So uh, a lot of these people will not be able to provide enough finances to pay for all these buildings because in the Netherlands the parishes have to pay for everything for the, the entire building for the maintenance restoration and especially if you have a medieval church you can imagine that those costs are very very high so uh, um, a couple of months ago um, th there were talks about selling the church to a neighboring museum and then pick a cheaper church as our cathedral um, and for some reason, that entire procedure was done very hastily, very, very fast, and uh, people rebelled. Uh, I know a lot of priests were unhappy with the situation, especially also with the fact that, that you know, nobody asked us what we thought about it. And also because the entire rationale seemed to be, well, it's too expensive. Instead of thinking, well, it's, it, it is an expensive church, how can we make better use of that church or how can we generate funds but immediately the decision was well let's get rid of it and that is a tendency that i see a lot in um especially my diocese a lot of these decisions are made on uh, a financial uh reasoning and i can understand that i mean i, I run a business i run a company uh, and we too we constantly have to make Tough decisions. We don't have much budget, so we have to really choose what we do and what we don't do. And if something doesn't work, we have to stop it. So I'm, I'm used to taking these quick decisions, but that is a business. But this is a cathedral, and a cathedral is also symbolic for the entire diocese. And kind of putting it up on sale almost felt as if, you know, we're just putting the entire Catholic heritage of, of our, our archdiocese, which goes back to the you know, the early Middle Ages when these monks came to evangelize the Netherlands, we kind of put that on sale. And it's almost as if we've given up. That's symbolically, I think, what it, uh, what it uh, communicated. And that is something that I, I, I think the people that started this process of selling the church didn't realize enough. And so this week we received the news that there was, they couldn't find enough there was too much opposition. They couldn't find enough supporters to go forward with this uh, procedure. And and this is something that, that the Vatican is also involved with. And if you don't have the support of the faithful, if there are no valid reasons, at least not valid for the people that are concerned, uh, to, to who it, it concerned, concerns, I can't speak any, anymore today, but... Um, 
then then that procedure can can also be halted by by the Vatican. And I think that uh, they 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 received enough complaints and enough opposition, and uh, that they decided to kind of stop the process even before really putting it in motion. And I personally am glad for, about that decision. However, I do believe that it's still essential to start developing the cathedral. I've seen so many great examples of cathedrals. In, in, I was in Sydney. Uh, there's, there's so much going on around that cathedral. I was in Paris, in, in many other cities in Europe, where the cathedral is kind of the beating heart of the Catholic life of the entire diocese. Well, our cathedral is always closed. It's it's only you can only access it during the week through like a side door if you go first to the museum. Um, there are hardly any parishioners on Sunday. It is empty. There are like 40, 50 people on Sunday in Sunday Mass in the cathedral. Compare that to Paris. <laughs> you have hundreds and hundreds of people every Mass, and they have several Masses. So, and 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 that is not only to blame on the secularization in the Netherlands because there are many other dioceses where the cathedral, even if it's not in the center of a city, is 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 doing much, much better. So I think it's also a lack of, I don't know, ideas and perhaps the, the will to turn this into something more vibrant, more alive. I mean, I, I, I could come up with, with hundreds of ideas. <laughs> it's, uh, but... The, you first need to have the will to continue and to to kind if if you are condemned to to the building in a certain way and if it is very costly then by all means use all your imagination to make it work and i think you can make it work but anyway who am i i'm just a simple priest um and then finally also in the news i am currently looking into booking my flight to Chicago, because I will be going to the Star Wars celebration that will take place in uh, in April there. And fortunately, it's not the high season, not the most expensive season to uh, to book a flight. I'm just kind of figuring out what will be the best days to travel for me. Um, the entire thing, last time, I couldn't go because it was um, during Easter. It's a crazy idea to do such a big convention on, uh, during Easter. Um but now I can, uh, but it's still a, quite a distance, quite a quite a big trip for me. And I'll, I'll be hosted in one of the parishes near near Chicago, which is awesome. Um, but I also have to check with them when they can welcome me and uh, what will be convenient for them. As soon as I know that, I'm going to book my flight, and then I have to go get my what is it? The permission nowadays. If you travel to the United States, uh, there there is this. The incredible questionnaire that you have to uh, fill in, and you have to give them all your social media accounts, and it's just insane how much the United States has changed and how hostile they've become to people that just want to visit. It's it's not a fun experience, <laughs> and so I had no immediate plans to travel to the U.S. Uh, previously. And also, in the back of my mind, it's like, ah, oh, I don't want to go through that entire process again. And then if you board the flight, you know, just they, they just want to know everything. And I know it's all because of security, but they, they go so far. I mean, it, it, in Europe, we have very strict privacy laws, and the United States doesn't share those same laws. But then, almost as a result, they... they they just run away with any privacy you 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 may you might have. Um, I mean, they 
they want access to everything, which is, I don't know, it's a bit worrisome. But, hey, for Star Wars, I'll make the sacrifice. Why not? It is going to be, hopefully, a, a very cool couple of days. I'm looking mostly forward, not to the news or the... There are so many special guests there, but I've seen uh, vlogs from previous years. And oftentimes people had to wait in line for like five or six hours in order to attend one panel. Uh, that's really not my thing. Absolutely not. So what I'm looking most forward to is to meet other Star Wars fans. I mean, that's the fun. Just meeting people. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Well, I'm not going to talk about Star Wars in this segment, but I am going to talk a little bit about uh, Star Trek later on. But I will talk a little bit about, uh, about space and more specifically Lost in Space. Uh, a couple of months ago... And a remake or a reboot of Lost in Space premiered on Netflix, and I, I reviewed, I think, the first four episodes. Um, and then there were other series that I started watching, so I never finished the first season. Well, recently I've, um, I've, I've uh, started to watch again, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it really it, uh, a lot. It is, I mean, it's not hardcore science fiction, but it's fun, it's well acted. Uh, special effects are really great um the story is interesting enough to keep me watching i'm getting used to the, the robot it's very different of course from the original lost in space series but they do seem to kind of uh make a lot of re these, these references to what the fans of the original lost in space series would would like to see they made also a lot of changes but but it's kind of a bit like the reboot of battlestar galactica it's much more modern it's uh, uh it's also the, the way of telling stories is more modern it's a bit faster paced but the core dynamic it's all about a family basically lost in space and the, in, the kind of what the adventures do to the to the relationships in that family and it's kind of a modern family it's more of a um, uh, a composed family in a certain way, but I, I like the way they did it, and I like the way they they portray the various roles in the family: the the fatherly role, the motherly role, uh, the the kids. They're all really, really well well portrayed. So I'm enjoying that quite a bit. Um, I hope it'll, it'll come back for a second season. I'm not sure if it's already greenlit, but I I assume it is. It, it was pretty high profile for Netflix, and then I saw another uh, uh, science fiction movie. Uh, I was just browsing. I was looking for interesting science fiction movies, and there are not that many. Um, and most of them I've already seen. But I, I all of a sudden saw a, a listing for the movie Transcendence, and I'd never heard of that movie. And it uh, stars a whole bunch of well-known actors. Did I open the... Um, I had the IMDb open. Let me see IMDb. It's uh, it's with. Um, let me let me just uh, Google it first. Transcendence. Before I start uh, babbling, uh, it's a movie from 2014. The main role is played by Johnny Depp, uh, who plays Will Caster, and Rebecca Hall, who I think played a role in Iron Man three, if I'm not mistaken. She plays uh, uh, 
Will's wife, uh, Evelyn Castor. And I think the first name is is kind of on purpose. It starts with Eve, uh, E-V-E, Evelyn, because there are a lot of kind of semi-biblical references in this movie. Um, the movie also saw, stars uh, Paul Bettany, uh, Morgan Freeman all of a sudden. It's just all, you know, high-profile actors. However, the mo- and the movie itself is hardcore science fiction. So science fiction, you have a lot of science fiction movies that are actually more fantasy movies, but the theme is in space. But real hardcore science fiction is always about, well, if we look at the world in which we live right now and we look at certain trends and, and things that we we see in our current society and you kind of extrapolate how what will that be in the future and how will the world what will how will the world deal with those things it's, it's like uh, the replicants in blade runner blade runner is hardcore science fiction it's all about cloning and what will cloning do to the dignity of the people that are cloned for instance well, that's what blade runner is it's also about identity so a lot of hardcore science fiction themes in this one it's a story about um a, 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 like a, a near future um in which um johnny depp is kind of a a, a bill gates type of guy who is very much into artificial intelligence. And uh, they've done some tests on uh, monkeys where uh, they're able to kind of make a, a copy of the, um, of the brain of those monkeys. Like all the connections and the memories are, are transferred into a computer. And, and apparently they were successful into kind of not really cloning the brain as such. It's, it's, it's not an identical copy, but it is like all the mechanisms, all the relationships in the brain. So the, the, the computers are programmed to act as if they were the brain of a monkey. And then uh, all of a sudden there, there is an attack. There are some people that are opposed to this, this these developments and are afraid of what it might do to mankind and to the, to the planet. And so there are some terrorist attacks. Um, as a result of which Johnny Depp's character is mortally wounded um, and will die. And so he comes up with the idea, well, what if we do the monkey experiment on myself? Uh, or actually, it's not really uh, Johnny Depp's character that wants that, but it's Evelyn, his wife. Um, she's like, well, what if, we, what if we transfer his brain into the computer? At least we can hold on to him. And so that's what they do. And, and of course, it, it, it opens up a whole bunch of problems. And is it still, is it really uh, Johnny Depp's character? Is, is it really Will Caster? Or is it, is it just a copy? Is it, is it a, um, a simulation? Is it an approximation? And, of course, it is st- you give the computer self-awareness. And so that also creates a whole bunch of problems that are typical science fiction stuff where, you know, power and we need to grow f- bigger and faster and more. There's a lot of manipulation going on. It gets very creepy. Um, but what I liked about the movie is especially the character of his wife. This is not just about the technological stuff. That would be boring. Um, but it's also about the reason that they wanted to clone the brain of Johnny Depp's character is actually not being able to deal with death and uh, and so you see the more the mourning of the of of his wife what she goes through and how she holds on to this experiment because it's in some way a, 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 for her a way to to not let go to not really process the death of her husband and that aspect i i i, I applaud the movie for for bringing that into the equation However, the rest of the movie is meh, meh. 
eh, this could have been so good. This could have been an excellent, excellent uh, episode of of Dark Mirror, uh, or Black Mirror, I think it is called. Um, but it drones on a bit too long. It's, it, it just doesn't work for an entire movie. Um, there are also some weird choices. The movie's very uneven script-wise. And there are some actors that, like Morgan Freeman's character, is so, such a waste of such a great actor. <laughs> There's so many things. Like, you could have made this entire movie with completely unknown actors. And even, even Johnny Depp doesn't seem to be the best choice for for uh, the character of Will. Uh, Johnny Depp is, is a weird guy, uh, even when he's not acting. And... Uh, here he needs to to play a, at least in the beginning of the movie a, a relatively normal guy, but it's almost as if he has to force himself and act act really hard in order to portray a normal guy, and like it's almost as if he's much more at ease playing the, these uber creepy villains like the the Grindelwald character in the in the Fantastic Beast series or or a, a, a drunk pirate or a crazy pirate in Pirates of the Caribbean. And as soon as you see him in a normal role, you're just like, oh, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't work. <laughs> so anyway, it's an interesting movie. I'm glad I could watch it on Netflix, but I would never watch that in, in movie theaters, and I don't think it, did, it had much of a success. Um, so, that yeah, that was Transcendence. Oh, and then there's a little bit of a movie-related topic that I wanted to address, and I don't know if you've heard about this, but uh, last week I told you that uh, Roma, the movie Roma on Netflix, uh got a number of Oscars and I was applauding that movie in such an amazing uh, work of art. Well, now there's been some backlash by none other than Steven Spielberg. He is mad that a Netflix movie, a movie that has hardly been in any theaters, I think they, they put it on a few in a few theaters just for the for the sake of it because they had to formally, but like 99.9% of the people that watch that movie have watched it on their TV and Steven Spielberg is angry. He's like, this is not supposed to be uh, 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 the type of production that should be uh, awarded an Oscar. Um, his his thing is the movie theater needs to be pr- protected. The, the theater experience needs to be protected. He, 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 I think he holds on to the kind of the romantic idea of this movie theater with these red seats where the, 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 the room goes dark and you have this massive screen in front of you and the sound is all over you. You have the smell of popcorn and that and, and, and so uh, and, and, and there is some kind of a, like almost a, a, a magical aspect to the movie theater experience. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that Steven Spielberg has never, ever recorded a director's commentary for his movies, for any of his movies. And his rationale is kind of the same. Well, it would break the the magic. You don't do that. There's some kind of a sacred aspect to the movies. And I would say that is... I, I love and admire Steven Spielberg, but it is nonsense. It's absolutely nonsensical. First of all, the experience, the, the movie theater experience has changed so much. Nowadays, if you go to a movie theater... There's noise everywhere. People are checking their email, uh, or not even email. They're like uh, Instagram, Facebook. They're they're sending messages during the movie. The 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 amount of eating that is going on in a movie theater is insane. Is nauseating. I always sit in the center of the 
of the of the theater. And then I, on my left, I've got someone eating popcorn. On my right, people, people eating chips. Nowadays, you've got like even hot uh, nacho chips with cheese sauce, and then people are slurping their their Coca Cola, and 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 there's chewing and there's burping, and it's just awful. And then the smells is like, ugh. Uh, why do people eat in the movie theater? I don't get it. And the worst is, and I'm so glad I don't live in the United States in that respect. The worst is, but you may be one of them. So, um, yeah, I'm not even going to apologize for that, for this insult that I'm about to unleash on you. Because honestly, what are you guys thinking? Eating popcorn with melted butter on top of it. And you've got people with these greasy fingers trying to reach the last few popcorns in this huge bag. And then it's, everything is smelly and greasy. And I, what do they, Where do you leave the grease on your fingers when you're done eating? Do you put that on the seat or something like that? Oh, it's disgusting. Ay, 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 ay. So anyway, the movie theater experience has changed. People will make phone calls during the movie. I'm not kidding you, especially if you go to to a movie with a, a, a younger audience or, or just, re, uh, what was it? I saw a movie with uh, a family audience. Was it the Lego movie? I don't know. I don't remember. But anyway, just kids on the phone playing video games during the movie. I was like, ah, I want to get out of here. Give me back my... <laughs> <laughs> my my introverted experience at home just watching in front of a TV. And if I want a big screen, I'll just put the chair closer to the TV. My goodness. So that is, that is I think, something that, that uh, Spielberg doesn't take into account. Plus, I think it's uh, uh, elitist. Um, a, a movie is, is, a, is a way of storytelling. It's a language. And it's not the, proje- it's not the distribution method that is... An, a, a, an indispensable aspect of it. I mean, most of the movies that I watch over and over again, I've seen them once in a theater, and then I only saw them on smaller screens. And does that to detract? Does that make it less of a movie? Of course not. So I think it is a stupid argument. He's going to bring it up on the board. I think he's, he's apparently he's like a a big guy in the Academy Awards thing. But, but I think if they, if if they go this far and they they ban Netflix and other streaming platforms from from you know participating in the Oscars, I think it'll it'll be the end of the Oscars. Honestly, I think that would be that would be the stupidest thing ever. Uh, Netflix reacted to this on Twitter, and they said, "Well, we actually they, they had a very moderate response. They said we are for what we want is to make movies accessible to a large audience. Not everyone lives in a city with a movie theater. How true is that?" How many people live in villages and have to travel sometimes for like half an hour by car to get to a, to a movie theater? And not everyone, says Netflix, and I think it's true also, is able to, to afford movie theater tickets. Let's not forget that it's the, the, the price has been sky high recently, especially with the 3D stuff and the, 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 the Dolby Atmos and whatnot. Every time they find new excuses to... Uh, to increase the, the the price of a ticket, so I think for in that respect, I'm not surprised that Netflix and other streaming platforms are doing so well. I've been able to watch so many movies, even movies that I skipped in the theater because I just don't have the time to go to the movie theater every 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 week. 
Um, but I'm so glad that on Netflix and on Amazon Prime, I can still watch those those movies. And is it is it the same as a movie theater experience? Well, no, not exactly. But it, you know, does it make me unhappy to watch a movie on a smaller screen? No, absolutely not. And and there are a lot of advantages to watching a movie at home. Plus, let's not forget about the evolution of uh, virtual reality screens um, on the Oculus Go. I've got several apps that will project a screen as big as a IMAX theater in front of me. And it's uh, the Netflix app is, is a very fun example. The Netflix app puts you, immerses you in a an environment that looks like a ski hut. <laughs> so you're sitting on this red sofa, and the funny thing is it totally works. It's very low resolution, but your brain does not see it as low resolution. It, your brain thinks, I'm in this big room, and it's cold outside, and I've got some hot chocolate on the table. And the, the only kind of immersion-breaking aspect is it that sometimes you're, I'm watching a movie, and then I want to lean on the couch, and then there is no couch because I'm sitting on my desk chair. <laughs> It's like, ah! But even that in the future. So there will be other ways to consume movie theater movies in the future, in the near future. Um, and so, yeah. I, I, I think that Steven Spielberg is, I mean, he's always been a bit of a nostalgic guy. Um, but, um, but he's going a bit too far. I think this, this will boomerang probably. Um, anyway. It's a, the, the world keeps changing. We have to move along with it. As long as people can tell good stories, that's that's all we need. Um, and I and this time I'm with the Netflix. Absolutely. All right, and let's go and pay a visit to the peculiar bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock. Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and the Christian tradition, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? This jingle, by the way, is always very appropriate for the time of Lent that is about to begin, or it may have already begun when you're listening to this. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. And just to set the record straight, no, we don't eat light bulbs during Lent on Fridays. But the uh, prohibition of eating meat is absolutely there. It's still there, and it's a universal prohibition. Uh, in a sense, well, actually, not really. It is. It depends. In uh, a lot of countries, Friday, every Friday, you're supposed to abstain from meat. But in certain countries, and this is uh, due to kind of the outsourcing of responsibilities in the in the Catholic Church, uh, um, bishops' conferences have decided that there are alternatives to that. So in my country, for instance, on Friday, you are not obliged to abstain from meat. However, you are encouraged to find other ways to abstain from, well, perhaps not meat, but from watching TV, or uh, there are many, many ways in which you can... Uh, um, mortify yourself or fast or it doesn't always have to be meat 
Um, however, for Lent, the rules are more universal. So in Lent, also in the Netherlands, we're not supposed to eat meat on Fridays. Uh, we're supposed to fast. We're supposed to abstain from meat. Um, Lent, of course, is about much more than than abstaining from things or giving up things for Lent. And in this week's episode of The Walk, I talk a little bit about that. For, for me, the, the whole, um, like, what are you giving up for Lent is a bit, I don't know, it's a two-edged sword. Um, it can focus you on on realizing that, yeah, maybe I could reduce my screen time, for instance, or what I did last year. Um, I put my screens of my mobile devices on black and white. There is a, um, an accessibility setting on the in iOS, so the uh, Apple operating system, um, where with three presses of the button. I don't know how it works on the newer devices where you don't have that physical button anymore, but it, the screen will go to black and white. And and that was actually much more of a mortification than I ever thought it would be. So only on Sunday I would put the colors back on and it was like, ah, my eyes, my eyes, I'm blind. <laughs> really, I felt like Han Solo emerging from the, uh, uh, the, the carbon freezing hibernation. Um, so the um but th- that was one thing that i did last year um i've done like i went vegan for 40 days uh tried to live on what is it 2 euros and 50 cents for every day um and and this year i i i wanted to focus on, on something that is a little bit more positive of course the, the entire idea of of lent it's 40 days you can create new habits and so I've uh, focused on something for me that's new for me, and that is a challenge to go waste-free during Lent. Um, I produce a lot of waste, like most of us, you know, just packaging material, plastics, um, and I don't really pay attention to what I buy. It's always producing waste. Same thing with, you know, the stuff that's in my fridge. Uh, If I'm not careful, I'll you know, and usually I'm pretty good at this, uh, at, at using all the ingredients. But there are, I think, in there was a report recently that uh, Dutch families, on in, in on in general, uh, throw away about 600 euros of food every year. That's insane, <laughs> or 600 euros worth of food, and it's just stuff that they don't eat. Um, uh, ingredients past their expiration date, stuff that they buy but never use, etc., etc. And of course, that is not only a waste of money that could have been used to support people that have nothing to eat, for instance, but it's also putting more pressure on the environment. On the, uh, it creates more pollution. Um, it it pollutes the water. It, it's just creating a whole bunch of, of problems. Uh, also on a small scale, this is not just the global warming aspect, but it's also creating uh, trash, garbage, is, is creating problems even close to home. So the less garbage we produce, the better it is. And I figured, well, this may be a very good way to for me to train myself. And it's going to be a, a discovery, a, a journey of discovery, because I have no experience with this. It also means that I will no longer go to the supermarket for my vegetables because most supermarkets will package the things. Bread is always packaged in in um, uh, in plastic. Like almost everything that I consume is packaged in stuff that is not recyclable. And there's another thing. Of course, you can tell yourself, well, I'm going to recycle the plastic. And that's what I do now. I, I separate plastics from, from paper, from glass, from metal. 
But recycling, and that's something that I didn't realize, recycling can only be done in, in terms of downgrading the use. So you can use plastic and recycle it only once and then use it for lower quality stuff. But then if you can't recycle it another time. And that's the big problem. So plastic will inevitably always weigh on the environment. That is why uh, glass, for instance, if you can choose between something that is packed in glass or in plastic, then glass is less taxing on the environment. However, there's also a caveat there. Uh, recycling glass will cost a lot of energy. So unless the energy comes from, let's say, wind energy or solar energy, then that too can also be weighing on the environment. So you see, it's a whole bunch of, of, of consequences of my behavior that I want to think through instead of pushing it away like, oh, that's too complicated. I don't have time for that. Lent is a, is a new way for me to kind of step away from the throwaway culture. And with that, I have Pope Francis at my side because he's, he's very much uh, warning against the throwaway mentality that is not just something that has to do with garbage and trash, but the throwaway mentality also can, can translate to the way we treat each other. Like we, we throw away people if they're no longer useful or we only use people once and then we get rid of them. So th there are a lot of spiritual aspects to this um, exercise as well. So uh, I, I, I totally expect this to be very, very hard. Perhaps the hardest challenge. I think it's easier to go vegan than to, to go waste-free. But I like, a, I like a good challenge, so I'm going for it. And uh, let me know what you are going to do over Lent. I'd love to hear from, from you. And uh, if you have some tips on, on how to do that, uh, some websites or vlogs that I may follow, I don't know anything. So I'm going to learn. And I, and I don't have time to prepare. So, so on Ash Wednesday, I'm going to be in big, big trouble. So help me out here. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I did a lot of reading this weekend. I, I didn't do much else. I was very, very tired. And so I basically sat in front of my computer playing Lotro, Lord of the Rings Online. <laughs> I'm leveling a new dwarf <laughs> and uh, try to get to, to level 50. And usually, I mean, I've done these quests so often. It's it's really putting my brain on hold. And, and there, there's something really, you know, calming about that. It's almost meditative. But in order to not entirely waste my time, I listen to audiobooks while I'm playing video games. And so I've been reading, I've been listening to, not really the audiobook, I've been listening to Alexa tell, uh, reading me the the book about the, the, the cupboard in the Vatican or the closet of the Vatican, uh, Sotomayor, by the uh, French author Martel. Um, it's a huge book. It's uh, around 600 pages. And so I had um, Alexa read it to me, which actually worked really well. I'm using the uh, Alexa app, not on my, uh, on my iPhone, by the way. There's a bug in that app, which I've mentioned before, where it will repeat paragraphs. It's so annoying. I can't believe that they haven't fixed it yet. It's been a bug for months. Uh, the Android version of the app doesn't have that bug, so I, but it will stop sometimes. All of a sudden, it will stop in the middle of, a, of, of the book, and then I have to kind of relaunch the app and tell it to continue reading. But all in all, it works pretty well. It does a decent job, actually, even with the Italian and the French in, in, in the text uh, to kind of 
you know, I can follow everything. Sometimes the names are uh, mispronounced, but on the whole, I was able to listen to the entire book over the span of, well, a little more than a week now. And so I promised you my, my full review now that I've read the entire book. Well, most of what I wanted to say about it, I've already said in the previous episode about this book. So if you want to hear my thoughts on that, uh, I'll refer you to the previous episode and also to the episode of The Walk that I did about this. Um, the, the, the second half of the book is still interesting. I have to say it gets a little bit boring. I, I assume if people are not familiar with the situation in Rome and don't know all these cardinals and prelates and, 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 and even places that he describes, then I wonder if it's going to hold your grab your attention. A lot of the more personal stories are in the first half of the book, and that is the strength of the book, the, the personal testimonies of either people that have witnessed double lives or also a whole bunch of people that are just basically confessing to the journalists, are very open about what they see and what they sometimes are involved in themselves. Uh, in that respect, the first half of the book is much more shocking than the second half. The second half tries to... It's a bit uneven. There is a chapter about the, uh, the, the, the legacy of John Paul II and, and a, lot of, a lot of the things that were, were wrong already during... Pope John Paul II's pontificate. Of course, the biggest scandal being uh, Maciel, the leader of the uh, movement of the Legionaries of Christ, who was a total pervert and uh, a criminal, an absolute criminal. Um, and a lot of the organization was built on facilitating his behavior, not just his behavior, but there's a lot of structural stuff that is, that went wrong there and uh, and the Vatican is, is still there's still reason reasons for concern um, the Vatican is, is, is very closely monitoring that organization um, but there were many other things that were going on under Pope John Paul II's pontificate that he either wasn't aware of or didn't want to face um, and uh, there are some people involved in the in these scandals, um, and I and and the book summarizes kind of puts it all in a list. Like this was wrong, this person, and most of it is. I I was like, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, we had that cardinal that was a uh, uh, was condemned for for abuse, etc. So there, and then when you see the entire picture, um, you're like, wow. Oh my gosh! It's like it's probably because it, those things happened over time, and not all those scandals broke at the same time. But if you add it up and you put it in 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 a historical perspective, you're like, oh, I can't believe how much was going on at, and that was at the time that I was studying in Rome. And I've I've shared with you that I've seen some stuff with my own eyes, and I've I've there are a lot of the things in the book. Um, I'm like. Yeah, that's probably correct, and that, or it matches stories that I've heard from other people. So, so there are a lot of things in the book that I think are are much more accurate than than some of the reviewers will uh, will um, uh, will will say because they're like ah that's rumor or that's it just uh, um, trying to uh, um, to to destroy the, the the legacy of of certain popes or whatever. There, there are moments that there are some chapters in the book that I find like really over the top. Like there's this entire theory about Benedict XVI and and why he abdicated and uh, about his personal situation. And I was like, yeah, but there are no there's there are no facts here. There are no it's all hearsay. And and 
kind of guessing, guesswork. And that, I think, hurts the credibility of the book and makes it vulnerable to, you know, criticism, to easy criticism. And I think the book is too important for that. It, and, and there are some other chapters, especially towards the end, that are just really irritating, where he's just kind of showing off. Like, look, I used to be Catholic, uh, but now I, I prefer the literature to the Bible. And then he, he names like 50 poets in order to make me feel like, oh, but I don't. I'm just a small, poor priest. I don't know all these 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 poets and such an intellectual writer. And is, there is something uh, immodest about the, 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 his style from time to time. And it, it, it jars with other parts of the book that are very well, well written and, and kind of almost uh, holding back. <clears throat> so it's uneven. The book is very uneven. And the last few chapters are just like, eh, yeah. Should have should have ended the book earlier. Would have been stronger. So, but on the whole, the, my my overall feeling after having read this book is, this book is has an open end, and, and I don't mean that there has to be a sequel to this book. Even though the the actor the the writer, the author makes a good point. He says I have not touched upon the world the religious the world of religious sisters, and about what's going on in those closed confined situations and if so much is wrong on the male side of the church then what's going on in the female but he has no access he, he, he didn't he, he didn't venture into that territory so in that respect the book is a is a reduction it also what is comes after a while very annoying is that everyone in the book is either according to the author a homophile or a repressed homophile or a homosexual or a very active homosexual or it's a heterosexual that is actually very active <laughs> or it's a heterosexual that should have been it's like oh uh, every person in the book is only viewed from the perspective of either gender or sexuality or and in that respect and then th their behavior is also always reduced to being motivated by these desires uh, or by these passions or by these this this active behavior and and the, and the subsequent cover up of that and i think that that, that feels stretched it feels forced and and reductionist and also that is you know if he's supposed to be a sociologist you know that even if you would look at this from a purely sociological approach that would be too too small of a focus, and there, there's more to how what people do and why they do things than just their sexuality. Um, but nevertheless, still very much true. At, after reading this book, is that there is a massive problem. There has been a massive problem, and the problem has not been solved. There is there's just part of the curia, and God only knows how big that is actually lead, leading a double life and is as a result of that also uh, um, not able to function properly, uh, is not able to evangelize properly. Because if, if you lead a double life, how, how can you speak from the heart if your heart is divided? How can you talk about God's love if your love is not pure? Uh, and, and I'm not only saying that, that the love has to be completely only spiritual or whatever, um, but but double lives are always hurting love, uh, be it human relationships or your relationship with God. But apparently there's just no other way to talk about that than through 
you know, talking off the record to a journalist. And that is dangerous. And that is something that has to be dealt with. And so I hope that this book will open the eyes of many people that are involved, not just on in the Vatican, but also on a diocesan level, because I think he makes a very strong case for this not being just a, a problem in in the Vatican, but this, this is uh, something that is uh, a problem in many, many countries and dioceses. And also in that respect, I think he's right. I think he's right. And he makes some very good points about what not, I mean, he's, opposed to celibacy because he see, he says there's too much there the price is too high i'm not sure if i share that uh, uh reasoning but the fact is that the way apparently that that people live their celib- celibate life or 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 can't handle their celibate life have perhaps are not even called to living a celibate life but then you could also ask, oh, why, why did you let, why did you want to be ordained if you knew that celibate life was one of the obligations, one of the promises you make? And then you immediately, you were already breaking that promise in seminary, and you're continuing to break it. I mean, then why be ordained? So there's definitely a there's a problem there that needs to be tackled. This is something that needs to be discussed in seminaries. This needs to be discussed, I think, openly also in dioceses, and we need to help people to to stop le- leading this double life because and that is there's one feeling that I have after reading this book is a feeling of sadness and compassion for the people that clearly don't are not able to be the priests that they're called to be and that are unhappy that don't feel loved don't have holes in their souls and the the I think the flaw of the book is that it is looking at the entire a problem from a secular perspective. And there is one aspect that I think is missing in the entire analysis, and that is a, I think you can only do that if you have a, uh, a Catholic analysis of the situation or a faith, uh, a faith perspective on this, and that is in almost all these cases of double lives, there is no spiritual life. The, the, the most of the of the of the church life that these uh, people live is external. It's it's performing liturgy, but there there's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of fasting. There's no mention of retreats. It's just people that are trying to keeping to keep up appearances, and and then the 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 and I mean he is a secular writer and he 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 is an atheist. So I mean he, it's it's. I, I can understand that he, he his conclusion is celibacy is fundamentally broken because it doesn't work for all these people and it's a huge amount of priests and bishops and cardinals that are struggling with this and beyond struggling they're breaking their vows and they're leading a life that is opposite to the values that they that they promise to uphold his solution is let's get rid of this of celibacy let's get rid of this hypocrisy because it doesn't work it's broken I think from a Catholic perspective, you should also think about, you know, celibacy, especially about what does it do to people and do we prepare our candidates and our future priests to this life of celibacy or are we just not talking about certain stuff? Are we condoning behavior already in seminaries that you know is incompatible with with this calling and this current uh, intrinsic link between celibacy and the priesthood? I mean, it's not... Uh, it's a rule of the church, 
and the rules can change. The, the, the church, the Catholic church, can decide to make celibacy optional. But for now, that's not the case. It is linked. So if, if that is the case, of course we can have a discussion about whether we should continue to maintain this link between celibate life and the priesthood. But if that's the situation and we, we are going to ordain uh, man to, to this, for, for this life, we need to make sure that they can be happy in this life. And then I would say we need to take into account the spiritual dimension of this and uh, the, the, the strength, um, but also the happiness that, that a life with Christ can have. I'm, I've always felt that celibacy was a positive choice. I want to be with Christ. He is my love. He is my life. I have a relationship with him. I talk to him. He, he tries to talk to me if I'm not, you know, <laughs> distracted. Um, I, I have fights with God. I'm sometimes frustrated. Uh, and, and, but it's, an, it's, a, it's a life with a, another person. And for me, that is the key to being able to live a celibate life and to be happy. And I, of course, I have my moments of struggle, and I have moments of where I wonder, well, what if I would have started a family instead of being ordained a priest? Um, but I always end up in those situations, still thanking God for having called me to a celibate life and and to the life of a priest, including everything. And I and 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 so I'm thinking, well, I'm not that special. I don't have superpowers. It's not that I'm all of a sudden like asexual and no, but it is there is something that goes beyond just the human factor in this and the, the human dimension. And that is what makes me that gives me the feeling that I belong in this state. And I, I feel that other I, I pray that other priests may feel have that same feeling. This is where they belong. And 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 God will never call us to something that we that he doesn't also give us the grace for. And it doesn't, I mean, that doesn't exclude failing and having a need of, of mercy and forgiveness and, and also perhaps a struggle. I mean, I've had my, my share of struggles in my life and having a burnout after three years of being a priest and feeling completely alone. And like there were moments like, like ah, what kind of life did you call me to? But it's always by... Asking God first of all, for why why am I in this situation? There was a great a great thing in. So I'm I'm going a little bit off off track here, off the rails. Um, I was listening to the um, the the uh, uh, the interview, long interview with uh, Cohen, the uh, the fixer of, of Donald Trump. It's this long session, you know, six or seven hours, and I had it on a podcast. I was listening, and on uh, on the end of that entire. Uh, Inter interrogation is back and forth. The 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 person who was leading the uh, the meeting gave like a final conclusion. There was one phrase that struck me, and and he was addressing Cohen, uh, and it was like, okay, you say that you're changing your life. A lot of people will not believe you, but whatever. But the question is, what are you going to do with the situation? You're going to prison now. What? I, I hope that this is going to make you a better you, and it's going to make our presidency is going to make our president a better president. So he was, he was really trying to think this around in a certain way, and he said, um, 
that he had his father taught him to never ask how did he formulate that oh to never ask yourself why this is this happening this bad thing happening to me but always ask yourself why this is why is this happening for me and I thought that was so brilliant and so strong spiritually also. Instead of feeling a victim of what happens in your life, and there are a lot of things that we can't help, and there may have been a lack of discernment in the priestly vocation of these people that lead a double life. There may be all sorts of reasons why people end up in the situation where they are. That is objectively not what they're supposed to live. But instead of feeling sorry for the, for yourself and, and blaming the church and blaming this, all these rules and celibacy and, and the, the, the evil of, oh, I don't know, instead of asking yourself, why is this happening to me? Ask, ask yourself, why is this happening for me? In other, in, in other words, can this be a, a, a something that motivates me to change my life, to take a decision? to uh, to improve my decisions to make a lifestyle change i don't know there are so many things you can do with the situation that in itself is not good and may be very hurtful but instead of complaining about why is this happening to me ask god why this is happening for me if if our lives are part of god's plan and god is god and he loves us and he wants to help us in any situation can be an, a, a road to the future for God. He can turn everything around. And not just in, in, in taking away for us, uh, but it's, God always heals us in the depths of our souls, not just in the symptoms. That's why we often don't get what we, <laughs> what's on our wish list, because God wants to go to the root of who we are and, and, and to the, 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 the most fundamental hunger that we have which is being loved and being forgiven and being healed and if we if that's on our wish list then he is going to fulfill that wish and that prayer that's what i hope that's what i'm praying for that that that, that will happen with all these people that are suffering right now because of these uh, uh these situations I, again, I apologize. There's one last thing we need to talk about because it's the background of uh, today's video and it's also uh, the, the title of the of the show. We need to talk about Picard, about Star Trek, about this new series that hopefully next year we will see on Netflix and for some of you on CBS All Access, which is this new series based on the character of the most amazing Starfleet captain, Captain Jean-Luc Picard and uh, he's going to be back but how? Well, I've got some thoughts about that and I want to share it with you in this segment. Start to jingle. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape them and you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! Now, every Star Trek fan knows that, Pat uh, that uh, Patrick Stewart is back for the role of Jean-Luc Picard. The story will take place in the canon timeline, so it's not going to be an alternate timeline or J.J. Abrams' timeline. No, this is going to be the Star Trek 
timeline and it will take place a decade after the events in Star Trek Nemesis, which was this horrible, <laughs> very flawed movie, the last one that featured the crew of uh, The Next Generation. And also kind of marked the end of the movies in, in the kind of the old timeline. And only years later, J.J. Uh, Abrams would re- kind of reboot Star Trek with this uh, these new movies that also have seemed to come to an end. So Patrick Stewart has been approached to for, for to come back as Captain Jean-Luc Picard, perhaps not even captain anymore, 10 years after the events in Nemesis. And that was actually a very, I mean, the movie was very flawed, but what happened in the movie was very important for the timeline, for the history of Star Trek. Namely, it was the destruction of the planet of the Romulans. And that had always been like a very important thing in the life of, of uh, Jean-Luc Picard. He was always trying to broker peace between all these warring factions in, in, the, in the galaxy. And, uh, and, and that has had a massive impact on uh, the rest of his life. And th- there, we had some rumors about what will this be about. And I was getting very nervous because they were, going, they were always saying, well, it's not going to be like Discovery. It's going to be very down to earth. And you know what my horror scenario was? Is that we're going to see a movie about uh, uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard living as a farmer in, the, in a French vineyard like playing the flute every day, and that would be it. And there would be no space, there would be nothing. <laughs> he would not be on a spaceship. And, and there, there were episodes in the original you know, Next Generation series where we saw the future of Jean-Luc Picard, and he was a farmer in a vineyard in France. And I was like, oh, those are my least favorite episodes. Because honestly, Patrick Stewart as a simple farmer is just not interesting. This is a man who is supposed to lead and he needs to be saying, make it so. And if that is not part of the future of Star Trek story about Jean-Luc Picard, I'm not going to watch it. So I was so nervous about this. I was like, oh, for, uh, I hope they're not provided. They're not going to do something like very artsy and it's very alternative and dark and gritty and pondering. And uh, Well... We've got some rumors, and they make me very happy. Again, this is rumors. It's not really confirmed, but I want to go through it. If, if you don't want any spoilers, I, I don't even know if this is true, but I, I gave, this gave me hope. It didn't say anything about its storyline, but it, it's character descriptions. They're currently casting because they're going to start filming soon. The scripts have already been written. They, they have their directors, I think, uh, um, they're also trying to get a new director for every show. It's a, it's, it's a very modern production. Uh, according to what I've heard, Patrick Stewart is super excited about this new series. But that was all we knew. Well, uh, according to a website, um, which one is it? I've got an article here, which I will link in the show notes. Uh, that hashtag show, it may actually be um, a, um, a podcast. I don't know. Um they have some inside information about the casting, and they confirm that Picard is the only character from the old series that will return for this. Maybe we'll see some cameos, but I, I'm not counting on it because, of course, cameos with old cast members would be very expensive. Fans would love it, but still. Now, the story is set in the prime timeline with the destruction of Romulus two years earlier by Supernova and the collapse of the Romulan Empire weighing heavily on Picard. Um, and then there are seven other characters in the mix. Here it comes. If you don't want to be spoiled, fast forward. First one, Connie, an early African-American woman in her 30s. 
she's a mercenary pilot and widow with a bounty on her head. I'm thinking, whoa, I already like her. <laughs> that sounds almost a bit like uh, the characters in Solo, the, the, the standalone movie. Um, Lawrence, a man also in his early 30s. He is a thief with a dodgy moral compass and Picard's pilot for a mission. Ooh, I like that. A scoundrel. Again, I'm getting flashbacks to Solo. Um, so, uh, a thief with a dodgy moral compass. Hmm, not really Han Solo, but still uh, Picard's pilot. So, there's going to be a mission. There's going to be space. Hooray! Unless it's an airplane. Starton. Starton is uh, a man also in his early 30s. So, it's a young crew. He is a positonic brain specialist, terrified of space travel. I love him already. It's in the vein of uh, um, of 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 the uh, what what's his name? Um, the darn it, Jim! I'm a doctor, not a pilot. <laughs> it's it's so a fear of flying, a fear of of space travel, but also a brain specialist. So he's a nerd. Positonic brain. A positonic brain is what uh, Data has. Um, then we have Dr. Smith. This is also very Star Trekky. Dr. Smith is a holographic crewman programmed to avoid becoming too self-aware. I think this is again a winner. This is going to be a holographic crewman, but there is this this the fact that he is programmed to to avoid becoming too self-aware. It's kind of the Pinocchio theme. Uh, which which is al- always part of data as always uh, uh, I love that that kind of storyline. So I think this is going to be humor. Then we have Kabar, uh, a Romulan, um, a late teenage male Romulan martial artist, extremely devoted to Picard. So a fanboy of, of Captain Picard um, and a Romulan. So that's going to be interesting uh, because, of course, he's the future of, of, of Romula, of the Romulans. And yet, of course, Picard is super depressed about you know, not being able to avoid the destruction of Romula. Um, so, like that too. It, the name Kabar, very Star Trekky. Indira, she's a woman in her early 20s. She's smart, agile, but socially inept and immature. And then finally, we have Alana, a woman in her 40s or 50s, so an older crew member. She's a former intelligence officer. She's analytical, paranoid, and a substance abuser. So an addict. I like these character descriptions. I like this. This is this is this sounds as a very interesting mix. And what I like most about this entire uh, uh, rumor is that this will have a crew. This will be about a mission in space. This will be about Picard being in charge and having to deal with a younger crew. So that he can be Picard. He can be this person that we all look up to, but has his personal demons. There is so much good stuff that I can already understand why Patrick Stewart was enthusiastic about the, 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 this, this, this pitch that was made to him for this series. And then finally, the article ends with, the site suggests the story will play up into Picard's love of archaeology with a mission to revolve around some sort of alien artifact that has been discovered. Production is reportedly set to begin sometime around mid-April. 
So it makes sense that these character descriptions of the of the casting process have leaked out. Um, and Hanel Culpepper is set to helm the first two episodes of uh, of the series. I don't know that name, but she's an American filmmaker. Uh, she directed episodes of uh, 902210, Parenthood, Criminal Minds, Revenge, and Grimm. So she has a she's an African American uh, director. That's interesting. Uh, a female director uh, with a good experience in in television in successful television series. That's what what Star Trek needs quality, and that's I think what Star Trek is currently experiencing a lot of quality i love it all right that's it for today sorry about the again another long show but uh well one hour and 12 minutes i'll try to be a little bit shorter (laughs) i'm going to fast on podcast minutes from now on have a great great start of lent thank you for listening thanks to my patron supporters again if you want to help patreon.com slash father roderick 